the 10 basis point is uh, 10 basis points is really very very small i i think it's more symbolic the government is trying to tell people uh, that uh, it, it is trying to stimulate the economy uh, but uh, there are very few tools at hand right mm. now so uh, I, I, they're trying to boost the confidence so what can they do to try and um, overcome the headwinds that the economy is facing at the moment? Well, China, China has always had this uh, balance problem. Uh, the, the, the financial resources are being channeled into export production and infrastructure. So uh, the, uh, the, the rest of the economy is, is, is weak. And then now we have this headwind. Uh, the whole economy is being slowed down by the zero COVID and a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of issues with with companies. Uh, companies are worried about uh, how how they can operate. So uh, we have uh, the historical balance problem. Now we have these uh, uh, man-made uh, barriers to economic growth. So it's it's really not about uh, what the government should do. It's really about what the government should not do. So I think that it's that's the hard part to to tell government that a lot of things they should not do. Otherwise, uh, otherwise the economy just cannot perform. Andy, thanks very much indeed. That's Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sher. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, in Australia, stocks down over 1% there. They're down about one and a quarter percent In Japan, the Cosby in South Korea off 1.2%. And futures markets pointing to a drop of about 270 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Do please stay tuned to Radio 3. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine, apart from isolated showers. Very hot during the day, with a maximum temperature of about 33 degrees in the urban areas. That very hot weather warning is back in force. It's going to be very hot tomorrow as well and on Wednesday. The temperature right now is 29 degrees, 82% relative humidity. The time's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shirosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Hong Kong reported 6,513 COVID cases yesterday, 237 of them imported. Almost 2,000 COVID patients remain in hospital, 11 of them in intensive care. Health authorities also reported the deaths of three unvaccinated patients aged between 65 and 81. A chief manager of the hospital authority, Dr. Lao Kahin, repeated his appeal to the public to get vaccinated and to seek timely treatment. The symptoms of early COVID can be very mild or can be very non-specific. The patient may only complain feeling of tightness or decreased appetite. Sometimes the patient may have also complained about some low-grade fever, running nose, sore throat, or some difficulty in breathing. So no matter how mild the symptoms is, please go to have a test. Sometimes when the symptoms persist, even if the tests are negative, you should also go to see the doctor because sometimes there may be other causes for these kinds of symptoms. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has tested positive for COVID-19. An official from his office said Kishida had taken a PCR test after experiencing a mild temperature and a cough from Saturday evening. Reports in local media said he was likely to attend remotely a conference on African development next week. Japan has logged record numbers of COVID-19 cases in recent days.
Singapore's Prime Minister has said the country will end its ban on sex between men, but will take steps to defend the institution of marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Li Shenlong made the remarks in his annual National Day speech. He said the Singaporean society was becoming more accepting of gay people. The government will repeal Section 377A and decriminalize sex between men. I believe this is the right thing to do and something that most Singaporeans will now accept. The legal ban on sex between men, while not enforced, has been criticized by LGBT activists, although more conservative citizens support it. Mr. Lee went on to say the government would safeguard the basic family structure of marriage. Reports from Iraq say at least four bodies have been pulled from a Shia Muslim shrine near the city of Karbala after a section of cliff collapsed on the building. Earlier, a local official said several people were thought to be trapped under the rubble in the shrine. The BBC's Sebastian Usher has the details. Well, this is an operation, a rescue operation that's been going on since yesterday, right through the night. It's a difficult operation. If you see pictures of where this mosque, where this shrine is, it's surrounded by quite vertiginous mud cliffs. So it's in a very precipitous area in any case. So the emergency workers have been essentially having to do much of the work by hand. They've been bringing out the rubble in huge bags to try to get through to anybody who might be trapped there. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're looking at the outlook for the property market at a time of uh, increased borrowing costs and with mortgage rates starting to rise. HSBC and Standard Chartered have raised the cap on the highball-linked home loan. That's the Hong Kong interbank-offered rate by 25 basis points, with more banks expected to follow suit. How much will this affect the property market and what effect may that have on the economy in general? After 9.15, we'll bring you another COVID-19 update with the case numbers and hospitalizations still on the increase. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page at Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call on 233 and we're joined now for the first part of our discussion by Nelson Wong, who's Executive Director of Research at JLL in Hong Kong. And on the line, uh, Rita Lee, Director of the Sustainable Real Estate, Real Estate Research Centre and Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Xu Yan University. Um, good morning to you both. Perhaps, um, um, Nelson Wong, if we can uh, come to you first. Uh, you're in our Admiralty studio. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Mike. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, so with uh, mortgage rates uh, increasing, what effect do you think that's likely to have uh, on the property market in the near term and the midterm? Well, I, I don't think there will be very discernible changes in, in the market environment, which is already um, quite soft uh, of late. If you think about it, Hong Kong people have been expecting and experiencing interest rate hikes since the beginning of the year um, at 1.5% for a new mortgage uh, in the beginning of the year. And now it has risen up to the 2.5% cap. And the banks have to raise or, or narrow that P minus spread to maintain their, their interest rate spread 
that's being charged on on their clients. So um, I I gotta say that the the market has already been feeling the impact of interest rate hikes, and therefore we saw. Uh, a pretty um, uh, low transaction volume uh, throughout the, the past few months already. What's the market thinking of uh, future int- interest rate increases? Are they, are they building in an assumption that there will be some? I do certainly think so. Um, it's very difficult to tell uh, where where the interest rate will go, but. The, the assumption for now is definitely that it will go higher rather than lower. And I think um, that's certainly, uh, uh, we, we're certainly expecting interest rate to still rise for the rest of the year and probably extending some into some time in, the, uh, in 2023. Right. Now, you've talked about softness in the market. Um, that's in, and you've talked about transaction volume. What about prices? Transaction volume has come down, as you, you may be very well aware. Prices were relatively resilient. In the first half, it dropped uh, mass residential and, anyway. Uh, the, the prices dropped uh, about 4% year to, um, year to, uh, in the first half. And um, we, we think that trend is likely to continue in the second half. Uh, we right. don't expect a... Uh, uh, the, the price to fall off the cliff, so to speak, no. um, because after all, Hong Kong has or is still experiencing a chronic uh, shortage in, in housing supply. That is a very strong force in supporting prices. Right. And yeah. further still, I, I, I think that in, in, in case that happened at all, um, there are still plenty of what they call, uh, what the government calls counter-cyclical measures that they can dial back uh, uh-huh. when, when that did happen. How is emigration affecting the market, if at all? I, well, I, I think it certainly has uh, added to the softness of the market, or at least in, in prices. Um, on the other hand, uh, from our observations, there were not as many uh, sales uh, at very distressed or very low prices right. uh, that has uh, been affected in the past few months. There are certainly some, uh, we, anecdotally, um, there, there, are, there have been a number of um, people moving out of Hong Kong and, and selling the flats, but they, they, we, we don't see that they're, they're selling at way below market prices. Right. They're not just throwing it at the market and running away. Definitely. Uh, Rita Lee, good morning to you. Um, would you go along with that to what Nelson Wong was saying, the point that Nelson was making about supply and demand? Uh, uh, there, there's still a housing shortage, and that's going to, that's going to hold up, uh, uh, well, property values anyway. Well, um, actually, even though that the market that they have men- uh, uh, that they have got different forecasting about like the changes in the prices, like for example, Bloomberg expects like uh, five to ten percent of the fall in the second half, and then Goldman said uh, predict there will be like twenty percent slump by twenty twenty five. But then if we look at like for example, for a case of like five million of the thirty year mortgage loan, the monthly payment will now rise by one thousand thirty for three hundred and twenty four dollars. Uh, in in that sense, uh, if there is like uh, twenty uh, twenty five basis point rise in the prime rate, so how serious is the impact? Well, it costs the homeowners like one or two hotel dinner buffets per month. 
So is that a lot? I don't really think that is a lot. And then the rise in the interest rate actually also, of course, also affect like car park and also commercial building loan. But um, instead, serious is if we try to compare the historical record. So if we look back, for example, in 1998 or before, where the prime rate was about like uh, uh, was about eight, and then it was uh, by then it was actually P plus one to two. But then at present, it is actually prime rate uh, for today. Uh, three, uh, five point three seven five percent minus two point two five, so that is about like three point one two five only. So the main difference is that, uh, well, in around like for example two thousand, for example five million plus housing is a kind of luxury, but now the housing price of uh, ten million is very common. So it means the amount of the loan that people that they try to borrow from bank is actually getting larger. But having said that, uh, what we have seen is that because uh, as a figure that I mentioned, so it really doesn't cause a lot in particular if. We we try to look at like, everything is like getting much more costly. Inflation is very serious, and then so that it, it does not cause the homeowners a lot. And as what uh, Nelson has mentioned is that this kind of the uh, rise in the prime rate, etc., is actually already foreseen by everybody uh, in the market. So everybody have already set some money aside for this already. And the rise in interest rate should not be in the same place in the inflation as what we have seen recently. Uh, so this is mainly because of the poor economic performance uh, in the United States and so as the global economy. The, the United States actually cannot afford such a huge increase in interest rates. So therefore, we will not expect that, uh, that even though the, uh, the interest rate must be like rising, but then we don't expect that there will be a huge increase in the interest rate. Mm. What about the wealth effect? That is, existing property owners are feeling a bit less well off than they were before. Well, um, uh, you mean the property owner? Sorry, okay, okay. Yes, a property owner. If if the market is rising, a property yeah. owner feels, even though it's not not entirely true, that they're getting richer. Yeah. So they're more willing to spend money. Uh, whereas yeah. if the market's going down, maybe they feel poor. Even of course they they haven't substantively changed at all. They had one home and they've and they've still got one home. Yeah. Well, uh, even though that they feel like uh, they, 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 they may have got some kind of feeling that the prices is, it may go down, uh, uh, yes, but then uh, actually if, you, uh, if we talk about like all the other good prices, why do people still buy housing? Because it is a very good source of like uh, they, that they uh, try to hedge against the inflation. So if there's a case, then, uh, uh, then uh, housing is still a good investment in that sense. Uh, if we try to compare the everything, all the goods prices. And then uh, is there a huge, uh, uh, will we expect a huge drop in prices? Uh, we don't expect a huge drop in prices. But then 10%, I guess that a lot of the homeowners have already been expected. So uh, given the rise in interest rate. So if there is an expected rate, then uh, uh, even though there is a drop, uh, will that cause the people that they, they, they cause, cause the, uh, the hard feeling? I don't really think that. It's, I was thinking in terms of propensity to spend. Um, propensity to spend, I don't think that is a great change at all as well, because uh, actually 
interest rate increase is one is one case, but there are a lot of people who have got a rise in a rise in salary. The main reason is that a lot of the people that uh, uh, that they are migrating, and then actually the homeowners uh, for the homeowners group, a lot of them they are professionals, and then they may be like working for the government. So if you try to look at the government position opening, for example, yesterday there is a lot more position that is currently offered, and then if you try to look at those like, who is working uh, as a professional on mid level. Uh, in finance sector, they have got an increase in salary, and there is a huge increase in salary. So, is that any, uh, is, uh, is that uh, the 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 slump in the property prices, the uh, the slight fall in the property prices, and the increase in interest rate that caused them such kind of hard feeling? I really don't think so. And if if we, if we try to look at this uh, this kind of the uh, this kind of the background information, then we know that actually uh, will that affect their marginal propensity to save or marginal propensity to consume? I cannot see there is such a huge uh, difference. But the main difference is actually come off come from those like uh, in the uh, who work for like for example restaurants, shops. Uh, they are actually losing jobs because uh, we can see that in the market there are a lot of like more shops that are closing. And then, uh, however, these group of the people that they are uh, 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 to some extent that is like um, they uh, work for, uh, uh, they may live in the public uh, public housing, and then uh, so that um, the, the, the there is a negative impact. But then uh, this is not right. really uh, 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 because they're not in the yeah. market to buy. Is what you're saying? They're <laughs> they buy less. They're in the queue for public housing. Nelson, yeah. is that how you see it? Yes, I, I totally agree with Rita. And at the end of the day, it's uh, it's really the family's cash flow that um, that determines how we spend. And um, I, I, you know, if if you if I look at my own portfolio year to date, the, the best performance still is is my properties in 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 Hong Kong, right? Um, a lot of other investment are hitting were, were hit pretty bad. So um, I, I I certainly think that. Um, it is more about the economy in general that will de- determine how people are going to to consume or spend, um, and that's where I, I, I think it is very important for um, for for the government to um, you know really open up the economy uh, mm-hmm. as soon as we can and as practically as we can um, because otherwise um, we'll be we'll, right. uh, we'll still be stuck here. yeah yeah what, what are the other factors do you think that may affect the property market I mean uh, when you say opening up the economy do you mean like opening the borders with the mainland and to international travel that's exactly what what I what I'm pointing at mm. and and um, if I, I look at Singapore. Um, I, I don't usually like to compare Hong Kong with Singapore, but um, their, their first first half they, they grew at about three and four percent. And Hong Kong, as we, we all know, we're, we're in a in a technical recession. Um, I, I think there, there must be a lot of reasons why the, the two two places have diverged in, in economic performance. But um, uh, I, I do think that the economy being open or not has quite a bit to do with with the, the performance in the first half because well for one thing we're not getting any tourists uh, that's for sure and uh, not just that uh, a lot of business travelers a lot of uh, 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 conventions are not taking place in hong kong and those are you know very key uh, uh, contribute contributory factors to to the performance of of hong kong's economy after all we are a very open economy right 
Now, for uh, first-time buyers, uh, obviously it's a, a huge decision about when to make that purchase and when to go into the market. Um, d d do you think sort of uh, where we are now would be a reasonable time, or would you expect that many people would be wanting to wait to see what happens, uh, to see what the trend is uh, with the mortgage rates as they are and uh, uh, other factors which may affect the market? Certainly there are or, uh, people are already... Um, a lot of them are already on the sideline uh, at this moment. And, and again, that's being reflected in the number of transactions every month uh, so far this year, just about anywhere between 3,000 to 4,000 transactions a, a month on average. Um, that, that is a very low number if you, when you think about the, the number of private uh, homes in, in the market, more uh, close to uh, 1.6, uh, 1 1.7 million mm -hmm. private homes. And uh, that goes to show that uh, people are already quite jittery about, about home purchases and um, uh, I, I think that we will still we will need to wait until there is more clarity where interest rates are going, where the economy is, is heading um, in, in terms of you know, what kind of a recovery we can expect and when we can expect that to happen. Uh, right now, there are too many uncertainties to, for, yeah. for any new home buyers to, all, to make that decision. All those known unknowns. Um, exactly. Uh, what about the flow-on effect for government revenue? Because uh, stamp duty is a huge uh, contributor to government finances. If we've got these very low volumes, uh, what's the follow-on effect on government money? Well, my, my stance is that um, the property-related stamp duties today, uh, they are punitive in nature, um, and uh, in, in, in a better term, they are counter-cyclical. Um, my, my view is that um, right now we are certainly not in a rising market, and therefore those so-called counter-cyclical measures are, are probably not in line or, or, or are not incommensurate uh, with with uh, where the market is heading or, or trending. Um, it may not be the, the time right now to to change any of those, but uh, it is important the government started to think and uh, prepare for for uh, for the time when when they need to dial back on some of those measures. It sounds sounds like you're edging towards Regina's position. Um, Yes, I, I think she has a point there. Right. Rita? Yep. Effect on government revenue? Well, for the government revenue, I think, uh, yes, there will be, like, more, sort of, like, that minimum... Uh, uh, there, there may be some kind of, like, impact on that, uh, but then the impact is still it is not really huge. The main reason is that uh, the shortage is there... As, uh, uh, there is still shortage in the housing. And then uh, there is also very clear that the other investment is not really good, like for example, stock market. I think a lot of us there originally, that originally we spent a lot of time in stock market, we are not doing so in the recent few months already. And then uh, so that if we try to look at all the other basket of the investment, including like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, etc., it seems that housing remain a kind of like good investment after all. And then the property market like a commercial building uh, and also the car park still remain that there is uh, some kind of attractiveness there. So uh, is there a, a, a huge slump in the, in, the, in the revenue? I think uh, if there is a due to the interest rate, of course not. 
But then uh, there may be some kind of the, um, uh, some, some people that they will invest less. Uh, like, for example, if they have got business in mainland China, for example, originally they, they have got like uh, business and then the property slum in the mainland China. There's uh, some, some people that they may actually sell their housing in Hong Kong and then to save their business in China or some other places else. Because uh, in case of like Southeast Asia, for example, uh, many of my friends told me that the they, they business there is very bad. Like for some Thailand, it's obviously very bad. And then, uh, so that under these circumstances, um, uh, I would just say that the economy that they have got a much more bigger hit to the uh, to the likelihood of those like uh, they that they want to buy the housing. But after all, the overall picture, I think it is still not that bad because of uh, no better, no other better choices yeah, if right. we have got in our portfolio. How's the commercial market going? Uh, the commercial market, I would just say that uh, the commercial market, if you talk about shop, shop is actually the worst. Uh, because actually now, uh, if you buy things, for example, a couple of years ago, I've already mentioned that, uh, well, if you want to buy something, buy a computer, for example, I actually don't buy it in the shop. Uh, like uh, buying the, some clothes and then buy some uh, some other thing else. Like, we don't buy it from the shops. And then now it's even worse. There's a restaurant we have get used to, like, a, a new habit that is we try to buy something from the restaurant and then go back to our home to eat it. And then uh, so that uh, it means that the shops is like uh, you don't need to have got big, that big shops. And then uh, for advertisement, all of us know that when we have got so many social media, we can actually put the advertisement in like Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, and then Facebook, and then uh, whatsoever Reddit, for example. So all these things just tell us that we don't need to have got a very mega, uh, mega size shops and then to put the advertisement. Because in the past, that we we ran for like Kim Sa Choi or Causeway Bay for those shops because we want we want to like solve the advertisement, not just about like selling some goods and products. Because if you talk about selling some goods and products, we don't need to pay such a huge rent, right? But then uh, why do people rent such a huge shop in like uh, eye-catching shop in like shop uh, in Causeway Bay, for example? The main reason is that they, apart from like selling something, they also want to advertise to everybody who walk around. But the the person scenario is that well, you get used to like working from home. I get used to working from home. So, uh, what are the values of like putting the shops in Chimsa Chai and Causeway Bay? The whole scenario it has changed already. So that I, I think the biggest the biggest hit is actually the commercial. I mean the shops uh, that they are they are of the bigger hits. Mm. And then uh, uh, yeah, this is a, this is what we have seen now. Okay. Um, we have an email here from a listener, Jeff, says, uh, Dear Backchat, to what extent do your guests think that there is a housing inventory mismatch, i.e. sufficient private housing for the declining population, but insufficient public housing to cater to the long waiting list of people currently living in subdivided flats and cage homes? Um, uh, Nelson Wong, would you like to address that? Have we got the? Does Hong Kong have the balance right between public and private housing? Uh, it's h hard to say uh, because the private market is more driven by by the the, the private um, the forces of demand and supply. Yep. Um, uh, the, the the aspirations for a lot of Hong Kong people uh, was uh, for, for for a very long time to to move. Up to the move up the the housing ladder to the private sector. Um, however, uh, as we as we all know, prices are high, and therefore uh, more and more people uh, or families are you know f almost forced to to uh, stick with the the, the public sector. Um, the 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 
I, I think there is a, a case for the government to to increase public housing supplies and uh, supply, and that's exactly what the government is uh, trying to do at the moment. Um, I don't see that um, the private housing supply is excessive at all, uh, even though right now demand is weak and therefore there seems to be more vacancies or more unsold stock in, in the market. Um, uh, uh, the, 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 the gist of the matter is Hong Kong does not have enough land supply for almost all kinds of real estate anyway. Um, and therefore, it is, um, to, in my mind, it is important that uh, the government will uh, will be starting to to uh, or has to start uh, increasing their land reserve and therefore use land supply as a means to regulate the the, the market um, and i i'm all for uh, uh, building more uh, public housing to uh, serve the those who who are looking to to move into a you know at least a more decent um, accommodation sure sure Rita Lee? Well, I think uh, actually the private housing demand, as what Nelson has mentioned, is that it is uh, obviously dropping. So uh, there are a lot more people that they are migrating, and actually some of my friends, for example, they plan to migrate the next year. So it means that uh, the private housing, obviously, that they have got a, 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 a drop in their demand. And then a couple of the increase in housing supply, about like uh, the, the, all the uh, kind of like construction activities that is uh, currently uh, posting on, and then so as like uh, Tomorrowland Town and also some other kind of the building that we have uh, currently uh, building in all the uh, in, in, in the uh, in the in the uh, new territories. So uh, the sort of like uh, imbalance between like private and also the public housing, I think the problem will be like uh, will be getting uh, much more serious uh, in the in the in the future. Uh, will be less serious in the future uh, because of all these reasons that I've mentioned. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much uh, to both of you, uh, Rita Lee. I think you're going to stay with us uh, until about quarter past nine. Um, Nelson Wong, thank you very much. Nelson Wong, Executive Director of Research at JLL in Hong Kong. We're going to take a break uh, in a moment for the news summary. Uh, we will be back at three minutes past. Um, if you want to get in touch, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. I do have some more messages from listeners which I'll read out when we come back after the news summary. A quick look at the weather. Uh, mainly fine apart from isolated showers and the outlook is uh, very hot tomorrow on Wednesday and windy with showers and thunderstorms later in the week. Currently 29 degrees, humidity 84%, very hot weather warning in effect. <laughs> Well, when I say share it, and I'm willing to share it with them, in 2020, the same company paid out £99 million in dividends to its shareholders. So people are very, very angry. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And today we're talking about the outlook for the property market with interest rates uh, rising and uh, mortgage costs uh, beginning to rise as well. Uh, we have with us on the line uh, Rita Lee, who's the director of the Sustainable Real Estate 
Research Centre, an Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at Xuyan University. And also joining us now is uh, Hannah Jung, Head of Valuation Advisory at the property company uh, Colliers. Um, I have a couple of messages here from listeners which I would like to read out first. Um, this one from uh, Henry on our Facebook says, uh, for the layman, inflation is rising as prices for almost everything is going up due to supply chain disruption, war, grain shortage, climate change, sanction impacts, etc. Bank interest rates are bound to rise and similarly for mortgage rates. Uh, for Hong Kong, I guess the border would not be opened in the foreseeable future. Uh, personal spending would decrease, as seen by the number of uh, uh, two rice and three rice dish outlets. Uh, even the price of those cheap dishes have increased from $24 to $40 per box, etc. Those relying on dividend for living are seeing their dividend income decreased. Hard times ahead. We should spend each dollar and cent carefully. Uh, that's from Henry. Uh, John writes, A few years ago, a number of mainland developers and conglomerates entered the Hong Kong residential development market through some aggressive purchases of land at government auctions and tenders. This was particularly evident with the large tracts of land sold at Kai Tak. At the time, many property experts regarded this trend as the long-awaited dissolution of the cartel, comprising a handful of Hong Kong developers, Chung Kong Henderson, SHK, uh, New World, Sino, Wheelock, etc., that has controlled the residential market for the past three to four decades. However, the recent sharp downturn in the Chinese property market and resultant liquidity crisis facing its over-leveraged companies has resulted in those companies having to offload their Hong Kong land with the aforementioned members of the Hong Kong oligopoly snapping up those sites. The net effect is that the Hong Kong cartel is stronger than ever, which should provide support to residential prices. Well, thank you for that, uh, John. Perhaps um, um, Hannah Jung, um, good morning to you. Hannah Jung, good morning. Good morning, can yeah, you hear me? Good, we can hear you, yes. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. For, thanks for joining us. Um, so um, how about that point that uh, uh, John was making just now about uh, the problems that are being experienced by mainland property companies. What sort of effect do you think that that may have, that sort of uh, spillover effect on us here in Hong Kong? I think mainland, it, it's true that mainland developers were quite aggressively entering Hong Kong and that was one of the reasons um, the land price gone up quite significantly and translate into the unit, residential unit price at this moment. Mm. Um, Due to the a lot of the domestic matters within mainland China, we believe that mainland developer may not enter Hong Kong at least another two to three years, um, and and therefore it will be more from the local players how they want to um, supply the residential units. I think Hong Kong affordability issue is still there. I think our ratio compared to income uh, on the the, the, the housing price, we are close to 20 times, which is a far significantly higher than any other peer cities. Like mm. UK overall, mm. they are only eight times. So I think using this time where market is getting slower and the interest rate uh, high will give more pressure to the, um, the, the home buyers, I think it's a good time and we will see some of the price adjustment downwards and then they will make more affordable housing. 
I think that's the one of the brighter side, uh, although we are at a very uncertain mm. economy at this moment. I think one of the points being made by the listener there was that if the mainland developers who entered the Hong Kong market quite aggressively are forced to unload uh, here in order to yes. rescue their main business back in the mainland market, um, they could be sort of forced into distressed sales. And our existing property, the homegrown team, can snap up these properties at a, at a cheap price. But the market will come under further pressure. Do you see that at all? Um, I think most of the developer, like mainland Chinese developers who bought a land two to three years ago, they almost offload or either comp under the completion, so they already hand over the residential. And looking at the Kai Park, um, those mainland developer when they offload, we didn't really see the big discount they gave it to the home players. So I think they still, the objective was they want to sell at the market price, but they, they want to offload if they, the neighbor, neighboring developer or interest developer want to buy. So we didn't really see much discount on that. And looking at the kinds that they bought the five uh, plots in Hong Kong, they sold all of them. We didn't really see the major discount from those things. Okay, very good. Um, Rita Lee, hi, are you still with yeah. us? Um, do you know anything about um, the possible exposure of uh, Hong Kong lenders, Hong Kong banks, to the problems that uh, developers are experiencing in mainland China? Well, actually, developers in mainland China is sort of like complicated. Uh, uh, I have actually some of the friends who is like senior management in the uh, in the very large scale property uh, companies in mainland China. What they say is that well, uh, everybody are like trying to uh, try to get some money from everywhere else. So actually, some of them even ask like whether or not there's some chance for which like, they have got like uh, housing properties etc. in China, but then they want they have no uh, they, they have no properties in Hong Kong, but then they want to get some money uh, uh, some money from Hong Kong market as well. So um, actually, they, um, uh, uh, the, the, the scene is like uh, rather, uh, is rather uh, poor over there. And then uh, some of my friends actually said that it is like all the property uh, developers, they have got problems, not, not just one or uh, not, not just a few. And then uh, there are a lot of the, uh, uh, a, lot of the uh, a lot of the circumstances, what they try to do now is that they try to build as fast as possible so that they can, uh, they can build faster and then they can hand over the housing to the uh, property owners in a faster way and that they can get more money in a shorter shorter time frame so that uh, this is what they try to do now um, for the banks uh, um for the banks in Hong Kong, however, this is uh, because uh, uh, mainland China's issues that they, they actually have got their own way to get the financial sources. So uh, the question that you asked is about the Hong Kong banks. I don't think that there is a very huge uh, connection to that, even though there is, of course, some kind of connection in the sense that they, if they do not have the uh, money for if they do not have the money for like uh, in the in, in in China, of course they try to get some money from elsewhere. But uh, the impact is not that uh, is is not that huge. Well, there seems to be some evidence that a lot of people are going on mortgage strike in the mainland. Um, yeah. That is that they they're now genuinely worried whether the flat that they've bought is ever going to be finished, and they're sort of saying, okay. Um, Show me, show me some more concrete going up before I start resume my mortgage payments. Uh, how's how is that going to affect? But that will affect will mainland banks rather than Hong Kong banks. 
fact, the mainland banks actually much more because actually a lot of the circumstances, if you want to get some money from the bank, so the bank will just say that well, if you have any collateral in the local sense. So if you have got collateral in China, so why do I want to like lend the money to you uh, if you, all the collateral that you have got is in mainland China? So uh, so the uh, so the impact, I uh, would just say that now uh, the impact is actually mainly for on mainland China side, but rather than on the Hong Kong side. Because uh, uh, there are so many uh, property, because uh, uh, what they say is that about 25% uh, that is like the banks loan are all related to properties. Because the uh, property market, we have uh, like uh, uh, the steel supply, for example, the concrete supply, construction company, all of them, they are linked together. So that they, they have got a rather huge proportion over there. And then, uh, 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 but then what they say is that they will have their own way to get the money. <laughs> a lot of them, they also tell us the same thing. But uh, what they say is that they are all the property owners, that they are, they are now uh, currently doing two things. One is that trying to find all the financial sources they, they have uh, from everywhere else. And then the second one is that they try to sell, uh, they try to build faster and faster. So originally, say for instance, one of my friends who is a senior management in the uh, property developers in mainland China. And what he says is that originally he has to, like, uh, for example, uh, 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 he has to manage 25 projects, but now he has to manage like 100 projects. Or some people, they originally need to manage like 50 projects, now they manage like 100 projects. So it's like everybody that they have got more projects in hand, and then they have to like push everybody to, 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 to build faster. So Sunday they are having meeting, and then uh, having meeting with the uh, mainland Chinese government, and then trying to see whatsoever way that they can try to get through this sort of like uh, property tsunami over there. Right. Because in Hong Kong, we, the mortgage granters, the banks, are very conservative, aren't they? In terms of yes. the proportion yes. of what what are they typically now a mortgage? Is it fifty percent or sixty percent or or what is it? What they say is that for the uh, for the mortgage, uh, uh, if there is like uh, ten million, for example, then they have got like reaching to eighty percent. But uh, but uh, Hong Kong is still sort of, like very conservative. So uh, the difference between Hong Kong and also uh, uh, China's banks in terms of like uh, uh, issuing loan, uh, Hong Kong banks is a lot much more conservative in the sense that they uh, say, for instance, if you want to start a project in Hong Kong, build a project in Hong Kong, developing a project in Hong Kong, you have to like guarantee sort of like uh, uh, you ha- you must be able to finish. Uh, the whole project at the end of the day. So you have got sufficient amount of money, etc., etc. So they can see that uh, it seems that this round that it does not affect Hong Kong's uh, project that much. The main reason is that they have got a very huge uh, requirements in, uh, 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 in, the, in, the, in when they issue the loan. However, in mainland China, uh, the uh, the loan issue is much more easier in the sense that they, they uh, so that you will see that they may have got like a lot of projects like, in the middle that they now they cannot finish. Uh, the main the main reason is that they do not have sufficient amount of money to continue with the with the second half. But then for the case of putting the case back to Hong Kong, that you have to, you must have got a uh, an evidence that you should be able to finish uh, till the end. So the right. amount of the money that you have got in hand is a lot much more a, a lot more than that uh, required in China. Right. So the developers are very well funded. Uh, yes. But when an individual goes for a mortgage, uh, how okay. much can he? I think that we're still very conservative on that under guidance from the monetary authority 
Yes, uh, actually, it is not that easy to get money from the bank as well. <laughs> so, uh, so that we we uh, uh, even though that it is uh, what we say is that it is like eighty percent, but then uh, there is a like, very huge requirements in terms of the salary, and then uh, so that uh, a lot of them they still quite conservative in the sense that you have to have got like half of the salary that is like paid uh, maximum as a payment for the mortgage, and then uh, so that uh, under the circumstances the requirements so uh, is so tight and therefore. Uh, a lot of us that by the time we, if you can actually obtain the mortgage from the bank and then uh, you already have got some money in hand. And then more importantly, because they have got high bond link uh, policy is still there. So if you have got a, uh, if you have got a uh, mortgage from the bank and then uh, if you borrow like two, $2 million and then actually if you put $2 million in the bank and you can have got extra interest rate. So therefore there are a lot of people that by the time that they buy the housing, they also have got like extra interest rate from the bank. And because of this attractive uh, policy, that means that uh, apart from the money that they have to pay them for the bank, they also have got a lot of saving in the bank as well. So if there is like, any touch with any any problem there, then you should be able to survive. So therefore, uh, actually, the uh, the policy, uh, even though it is uh, sort of like uh, uh, loosening as compared to that in the past, but then uh, it's uh, it is still that it, uh, quite. Uh, 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 the requirement is not that low. The bar is not that low. Mm. Um, Hannah Jung, uh, the yeah. government is uh, committed to what well, it says it wants to see a stable property market. If prices start to slide a little bit too much, I mean, uh, there were these counter-cyclical measures uh, introduced uh, some time ago. What, what, what do you think might be the steps that could be taken to stabilise the situation? I think, yes, the Demand and supply is the, always a long-term solution. Now we have a lot of measurements, artificial measurements such as extra stamp duties, etc. I think the supply, uh, giving more supply is always the long-term solution we have to seek for. Now the real estate and construction is account for about 10% of the GDP contribution. If the real estate activity slows down and face further price down or adjustment, I think current 1% to 2% GDP growth may be just further downwards. So we may look at no growth or very, very slight, um, slight growth. But will this really threaten financial industry or housing crisis? The answer would be no, because um, as the, the, another speaker mentioned, the, after the Asia, Asian financial crisis, all banks adapted quite robust measurements. And then the LTV, although LTV has been relaxed, there are other measures such as a stress test. So our caring for the individuals who own over $10 million assets, their caring is only 40% in general. And one thing I want to highlight here is that interestingly, about 55% of the housing owners do not have any mortgage. So they pay up all of mm. them. So mm. overall, Hong Kong, there are quite large liquidities. But I think government can consider giving more affordability to the market, first by supplying more residential. And then secondly, one thing um, we want to highlight is really can consider spe special stamp duty removal. Because the special stamp duty is locking up two years of uh, liquidity in the market. And people who bought it early in COVID, they may face financial uh, trouble, but they cannot sell their units at this moment because they have to face a huge amount of special stamp duty. But if that can be removed, then they will uh, give you more transaction volumes in the market, and then right buyers will buy right product. Mm. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, for your contribution to this morning's programme. Uh, that was uh, Hannah Jung, uh, Head of Valuation Advisory at Colliers. And thanks very much to Dr Rita Lee, Director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre and Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University. And before nine o'clock, we heard from uh, Nelson Wong, Executive Director of Research at JLL Hong Kong. Just before we move on to our... Uh, uh, final topic for this morning's programme. Um, quick uh, email here from listener Alonzo. says, uh, in your Hong Kong Today show today, you reported about the strike at the port of Felixstowe, that's in, uh, in England, and uh, even quoted one person as saying that port workers were unhappy with how much profit and dividends the owners of the port have reaped in recent years. But I'm surprised that you didn't mention who actually owns the port of Felixstowe. Lee Ka-shing's C.K. Hutchinson, which bought the port in 1984. Sorry, 1994. Thanks for that, Alonzo. Um, we're now going to turn our attention to the latest in the COVID-19 situation. Uh, with numbers, uh, infection numbers having a, been above the uh, 6,000 mark for the past few days. Um, we're joined on the line by Dr Vijay Danisekaran, Associate Professor at the Division of Public Health Laboratory Sciences. That's at Hong Kong University's School of Public Health. And Dr Vijay, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much uh, for joining us again. Um, so um, we've seen these uh, stories and these warnings about the Omicron BA5 uh, sub-variant uh, becoming uh, more prevalent and the possibility that if it becomes the dominant strain, uh, we could see quite a big jump in infection numbers. How do you see the situation? Um um, um, actually, the, the the number of variants that's been reported to you know cause a big outbreak has actually been moving on pretty quickly. We've had four, five, two point seven five, two point one point something something. So the number of variants that people are detecting globally has actually increased. Uh, but in the sense that whether BA five is going to become dominant, I'm not really sure. Um, is that because BA five has actually risen in terms of cases and become you know dominant than other variants? But it has actually not increased the overall COVID cases globally. Um, since we've known BA4, BA5 emerged, the, actually the number of cases have gone down substantially and it's still going down, um, especially in countries like Japan and, and many other countries. Um, so I don't really think uh, BA4 or 5 or any of these sub-variants are a concern. What I'm really interested to see is the pattern of coronavirus circulation over the past few months. Uh, there's been lots of discussion and, and, you know, the biggest urgency is whether there's going to be a big peak uh, of cases soon. Mm. But we've had a sort of stabilization of cases over the past few months. And as we've relaxed measures and even now with the 3 plus 2 quarantine, the cases does not appear to go very high. And that actually suggests maybe this is the pattern um, that we're going to see for a long run for, for, from now on. And uh, the thing that we're trying to predict better is, is, will there be a spike if there's another variant, which we're not really sure at the moment. But I think uh, uh, at least, I mean, I'm, I'm getting more confident that this is the pattern, the stabilized pattern we're going to see for a really long time. Uh, doctor, good morning. Um, good morning. Every, every day we get the figures for hospitalizations and, and sadly deaths. One of the things that strikes me is just how often I hear the words not fully vaccinated or even unvaccinated uh, among the people who've died over, uh, over the previous 24 hours. How is it that two and a half years into the 
pandemic, we, we still have so many unvaccinated people. Um, um, it's, it's really surprising, um, and um, it's actually one of the one of the reasons why I think the pandemic is extending in many parts of the world uh, as it could be. Um, I mean, the one one thing is there are a proportion of population which we shouldn't forget that who cannot be vaccinated at all due to other other factors. Um, and they are highly susceptible. And we see that not just for COVID, but all diseases, right? They are the ones who end up in a hospital most frequently. But really, uh, healthy people not getting vaccinated, I think it's, some, it's a problem. It's a social problem that we have to address systematically. Um, and I don't think uh, the COVID um, response over the last two years in, in Hong Kong, as well as the mainland China, is going to help that as well, really well. So I think we've got to do a a bit more uh, in this population to actually try and convince them that vaccines are not that bad. Looking ahead to the next flu season, I'm not trying to depress everybody on a a Monday morning, but some people have speculated that because we've been so successful uh, to a large extent um, in in minimising COVID, that people haven't been catching the normal viruses and developing immunity to them, so that at the next flu season, we could be really hard hit. Uh, that's right, actually. And uh, this, is, this is not just speculation, though. We've already seen uh, many countries experience a large uh, flu outbreak, such as the Australian flu epidemic we saw recently. And um, uh, it's, it's just that uh, immunity has waned over the time. Uh, we have not experienced, like you just mentioned. Uh, but there's more data coming out as well, which says that the, the elderly children population particularly where they've not been exposed to a lot of regular viruses that they usually get exposed to at a very high rate in that, in that population and so we have like sort of an immunity gap in that population and we expect the number of cases once you know things are opened up we expect a higher proportion of cases in this demography but also because you know overall there's much lesser um, um, immunity in the population we expect the virus to transmit much faster I do not expect a levels of an influenza pandemic like in 2009, but I would expect a substantially larger flu epidemic when it actually kicks in. However, keeping that in mind, we still have a lot of non, non, non-pharmaceutical interventions. We still have a lot of mask wearing, for example. So uh, the impact, I think, may be blunted by some of these uh, COVID measures. Because we, we know our economy is in recession now um, and the forecast for the whole year is, is actually the average speculation is zero so it might be a little bit uh, negative it might be a a tiny bit positive but basically zero are we getting the balance right between uh, keeping down covid numbers and and keeping the economy growing uh, absolutely not. It's, I think it's really uh, apparent. I mean, I would I would really think that public health measures um, are really good when people are free to go around and do their things, when the public mental health as well as the physical health um, is really good and they're able to do all activities, travel, go see their families. Um, I mean, effectively, we've all been contained. Um, uh, the population has been controlled uh, in the name of uh, anti-epidemic measures for a really long time. And we've already seen trouble with, I mean, we've just discussed the trouble with, you know, uh, immunity against other viruses, but also fatigue. um, And people have other things to do in their life in general. So I think the balance is actually absolutely wrong. Um, And not just that, I I think I'll be critical in completely with the zero COVID policy, because I think uh, there was a time to do it. And now there's no more that time to do it at all. Should we be easing up more quickly? 
Um, absolutely, I think. Um, I think uh, I and as well as many of my uh, colleagues who are experts have been continually saying this, that we don't really have uh, a reason to control it, uh, have any measures, um, except perhaps the most mildest measures, uh, right, just like face masks if needed in, in public transports and things like that. But uh, the public epidemic control measures is not what is keeping the virus at bay at the moment. It's just the human immunity in the population that's keeping it at bay already. So the, the continuing these measures just gives us a blind eye that, you know, we're doing something, but in, in effect, we're not doing something. So if there's going to be a scourge uh, in, of the virus and you know, of an epidemic of not just COVID, but also flu, I think we're going to be in trouble then because we, we basically think that we do a great job, but actually that's not doing effective things to actually control the virus. So, so you would think that we could uh, relax the COVID measures because we've reached a degree of herd immunity within society? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think we've had an exit wave in February and March, um, and uh, that effectively has provided, uh, provided us the exit wave of, of the pandemic. And uh, as we've seen now, even though multiple new variants are coming into the population, uh, we are not seeing um, a big spike in cases, indicating that it's reached some sort of an endemic level uh, within, this, within the city. Oh, OK. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Dr Vijay Denisekaran, Associate Professor at the Division of Public Health Laboratory uh, Sciences at Hong Kong University's School of Public Health. Um, just uh, a couple of other messages here from listeners. Uh, uh, Alan wrote, is there a breakdown of vaccinated, unvaccinated people in the case numbers each day? Um, I'm not actually sure about that, uh, Alan. Um, uh, I know that usually for fatalities, uh, we are told uh, uh, whether, the, whether or not the people who died were vaccinated or not. I mean, in, in the latest uh, case from yesterday's figures, uh, three further fatalities, uh, unfortunately, uh, people aged from 65 to 81, um, all three were unvaccinated. Right, and even uh, the day before, I mean, this is anecdotal, I remember that it was mostly n not fully vaccinated. It's mm. People only just sort of started. I know people who had one vaccination and stopped. Mm. I, I, I don't understand the mm. logic of that mm. at all. Yeah. Um, and, and just looking at the figures, as we're looking at the vaccination figures, we're still at a point where 66% uh, of 80, people aged 80 and over have had two shots, which means still a third of people in that age group have not. Well, they've got so, to wait a, a while, haven't they? If, yeah. if they started yes. very late... Yeah. I guess they're, they're still That's in right. that. There's still the waiting time between. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Anyway, uh, thank you very much to all of our listeners. Uh, thanks to everybody who wrote in. Thanks a lot to you, Mike. I've, I found I learned a lot from this morning's yeah, programme. Interesting uh, discussion. Yeah, good. And, OK, let's have a look at the weather before we go to the news summary and morning brew. It's going to be uh, mainly fine apart from isolated showers. Um, very hot during the day. Top temperature around 33 degrees in the urban areas. Higher in the new territories. Uh, moderate to south to southwesterly winds. The outlook, very hot tomorrow and on Wednesday, windy with showers and thunderstorms in the middle and latter parts of this week. It's currently 29 degrees, humidity 80% and the very hot weather warning is in effect. Our beautiful Hong Kong home is a crowded place. In the event of a terrorist attack, the consequences could be dire. Stay calm and call the police hotline 999 if circumstances allow. The Hong Kong police are always prepared.